Today we have a very special occasion and very special guest. We are honored to have uh, Mr. Kevin Hay and Mr. Ergin uh, from DeepMotion. Uh, and I'm, maybe I'll let you uh, introduce yourselves as well to the audience and say a few words about uh, what DeepMotion is and uh, uh, just a few words about, about uh, your tool that you're developing. Sure, uh, this is Kevin He. Hi, DJ. And it's our pleasure to join the podcast. Um, so I'm CEO and founder of Demotion. Demotion, we create motion intelligence technology and we use motion intelligence to build products and service to help connect people, entertain people, and uh, um, make uh, the CG world more uh, content. So we started Demotion about six to seven years ago. Um, myself has been working in game industry for quite a while, starting at Blizzard Entertainment as an engine developer of World of Warcraft, and then uh, worked on, uh, and then I moved to Roblox, worked on user-generated content for gaming, uh, and uh, also worked at Disney for a while. So after a long time in the uh, game industry, I found rendering and the graphics has has achieved to a very high fidelity stage. Uh, you can render spores at details, and you know it's very impressive. However, compared to rendering, animation is uh, still lag behind. We still see Uncanny Valley uh, in CG film. Uh, it still takes tremendous amount of effort to create triple A quality of character animation. So that's one thing inspired us to start emotion. Uh, how can we, we focus on how can we create lifelike motions from procedural techniques that includes physics simulation, that includes uh, AI and uh, algorithm generated movements. So that's how we started. Um, the first thing we build is a physics simulation engine that will simulate articulated character structures like bone, muscles, joints. So all these under Newton laws simulation, we can then generate some realistic interaction between the character and environment and also create organic movement for the characters. And after in physics engine is done, we evolve into using AI and deep learning to further enhance the, the motion diversity and how real it feels. Uh, so that's how we gradually evolved. Today, we focus on uh, using deep learning based on uh, physics simulated environment to create digital agents that, that can move around that can um, demonstrate um, natural behaviors when it interacts with other environment and subjects. So one part of the um, technology, uh, we call it perceptive motion brain, that is used to build the currently launched service, we call it Anime 3D, that will convert video to 3D animations. And yeah, that, that, that's how we, how we started. Uh, we are continuing working on um, generative motion brain, which is another part of the motion brain uh, architecture. 
that will focus on generate new motions. So yeah, that's a, that's just quick uh, history how how we get here today. Yeah, you've you've used the uh, two terms uh, AI and uh, and machine learning, deep deep learning. Um, and usually, uh, I've seen like people or heard people using these two uh, interchangeably. Um, and uh, yeah, laymen f f uh, like us, for example, um, finding hard to to really see the difference between these these two. And these are not exactly the same thing, right? Or, or is is this like really to be used? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I think uh, everyone probably thought about the difference. It, they are interchangeably used in many places. So my way uh, to understand AI is the goal and uh, machine learning is the way to achieve that goal. So um, in general, we are tackling a problem and to let machines to master artifi artificial intelligence through the learning from human. So uh, we teach a machine how to mimic, how to um, master skills that we human can demonstrate and eventually they, they achieve some level of artificial intelligence uh, that can help us do a lot of things so uh, that's the way I look at it but you know we can mi mix the terminology in different contexts it, it's just uh, uh, they are they are two, two aspects of the same thing mm -hmm. uh I'm just wondering. Uh, you, you said the, that your goal is um, is like making the, uh, the the CG industry more content with the tools that you provide, and um, I'm wondering, uh, like, what uh, what kind of audience is the Animate 3D mostly uh, targeted to? Right, right now, is it like more uh, to a general audience of I don't know, I don't know people wanting to have their and their avatars online, or is this like also targeted towards more professional uses, uh, like for example, game development or or film production, or is this uh, like too early to to really adapt that into more professional pipelines, or is that like just around the corner or already suitable for these kind of uses? Uh, I see. So we we saw a lot of interest from game developers, animators. Uh, people working on uh, media projects, uh, be it uh, advertisement or uh, social media um, posts or uh, marketing content. Mm. So Anime 3D has been used by uh, all these professionals and hobbies to create content quickly. So uh, I think um, um, one, one huge advantage we bring to to the content creator community is that you can access the technology so fast and so quick, so quickly uh, with almost you know no cost or very low cost. So you can just shoot a video of yourself or find stock video online, and instantaneously you can convert that into 3D animation. So that lower the entry barrier to animation creation to very low. You know, if you can play with video. If you can capture an interesting footage, then you can convert uh, it into animations. So we think this uh, initial adoption will be um, uh, game developers, uh, small to media stu size studios, and uh, 
uh, also professionals who are focusing on more more like using content to uh, using content to convey a message or for communication and uh, eventually this will evolve into professionals who work on AAA content um, I think today um, Keyframe animation and uh, traditional motion capture are still the primary method for AAA character animation. Right? Uh, however, as we see more and more studios using Unreal Engine and this game environment or, or other game environments to to do storyboard, to block out the basic animations, to plan for uh, the the plot. Uh, for all those stages, Anime3 is a perfect. Uh, tool to speed it up. So right now, when if you do a storyboard of how you know how the characters interact with each other, how the how the plots involve, uh, you could you know easily just find some reference videos or shoot some one shoot some video clips yourself, and then use Anime 3D to convert them into uh, quick 3D animations. Um, I think as we uh, as we keep improving. The capability of AI-based mocap, uh, this tech will be uh, gradually adopted by uh, AAA content creation as well. And that will be a process um, um, between, I think that will be a coordinate effort between the technology developer like us and also our users and the community. Uh, we keep getting feedback from our user base and that's the uh, that's the as a source for for our inspiration, and uh, also help us to improve the tech continuously. The goal is you know, one day uh, we really don't need uh, very uh, we we really don't need heavy gears or any gears at all. Hopefully, to create motion capture, and we have a great tool to uh, create out to create a lot of uh, animation content. At least we use that to scale up our productivity and give us ideas and give us raw material to work on. Yeah, and, uh, yes, and DJ, um, yeah, sorry, this is uh, Ergen. Just to add to uh, Kevin's uh, thoughts there, um, I think, you know, we have, uh, as Kevin said, Animate 3D is, a, you know, easy to use service where you can turn video into animation. So on its surface, um, in terms of your audience question, of course, you know, it opens it up to the rest of the world, right? I mean, you pretty much just need a computer, a web browser, and, you know, either, you know, shoot your own video or find videos and you can create these animations. So on the one side, you know, it's easy to use and that is a broader audience. However, uh, the, uh, the flip side to that is that we've actually built in a lot of controls that are very specific to that core animator crowd, the core game uh, crowd and the professionals, the professional 3D artists and technical animators. So for instance, we have settings, uh, uh, for instance, called foot locking, right? Where you can actually control, there's four different settings to it, you know, auto or off or on, you know, never, things like that. Um, and, you know, if you have animations where maybe you're swimming, you know, you don't want any foot locking, you can disable it. If you have a fast dance where there's lots of foot uh, touching the ground, you, there's various modes that will help you with that. We have other um, features and settings such as uh, speed multiplier, um, you know, smoothness settings and other things that we have uh, both available and in the pipes coming soon. So just to add to what Kevin said that, uh, yeah, you know, we, we definitely designed some of our controls, options and settings for that more advanced 
uh, animator crowd and, you know, artists, 3D artists crowd, but the service itself is very easy to use. Yeah, that's supposed, that was generally my impression when I tested it out and uh, created uh, like my first video about the, about the motion service. Like uh, it's half a year from now, and it seems like it's already have de um, has developed so far in this short amount of time. Like um, you introduced uh, the new uh, face uh, tracking uh, right now in alpha, right? But I already test tested uh, like my, made my first test, and um, it's very looking very promising. I mean, um, about what you said about uh, regarding the animators workflow, it seems like you are kind of like bridging, bridging this gap that was very technological, you know, doing the animation stuff, which animate um, animators kind of did that uh, all, all the time, like making reference footage for their animation, just just for reference, just for checking whether their their animated movements are realistic and right now it's kind of like your technology is doing that for the animator or in the future it will be probably even more accurate and like closing this technological gap between the creator and the artificial creation the animation exactly yeah i mean every day we try exactly. to you know we're, we're shortening that that gap and making it smaller so yeah we're trying to you know we release these features such as you know face tracking and foot locking and uh, some of the more advanced controls uh to um you know to satisfy and kind of adhere that more technical audience because that's probably a little bit more than half or you know there's a lot of technical people using our service um, but then just like you said, yes, we still want to keep it, um, you know, accessible and easy to use for the masses. Um, and yeah, you know, we work on that quality gap, you know, daily, you know, hourly. And we think that window is getting smaller and smaller every day that, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, pretty soon Animate 3D can be the standard for you know, creating AAA uh, animations. Right. So yeah, DJ, you are exactly right. I think we started, uh, we started, uh, let our users use Anime 3D to do uh, rotocopy, right? So now you can use AI to do rotocopy instead of doing it manually. The advantage is that, um, first of all, it generates 3D result. So it's easier to, um, it, it's, it's, okay. Uh, I should put this way. It's easier than, than a 2D video to use if you purely, uh, if you do keyframe animation from 2D video, you can't really rotate the camera to the to side view to see how the depth, how other motion work. But with Anime 3D, you can create a 3D version of that uh, uh, mo uh, movement encoded in the 2D video. So it's much easier to use that as a, as a base animation to work on. And so you can, you know, polish it to make it perfect in the later of the, the process. Uh, I wanted to ask, um, so from what I saw, deep motion is kind of like the deep fake, but for um, uh, motion, right? Uh, I, want, I wanted to ask, like, how does it work? Because when you, it looks like you can input the video and it'll make a motion from that singular video. Is there is it does it work similar to uh how deepfake works where you feed it more information and it can produce a better result or or kind of like a 3D scan right where you give it a couple pictures it looks pretty janky but then 
the more information you give, the closer and closer you get to capturing what you have, right? Is is that how how does um deep motion work? Does is does it work similar to deep fake? Um, uh, so we definitely leverage deep learning pipeline, um, similar to deep fake, uh, but dif- different in the actual architecture of how how we um, uh, how we build the network, how we train it. So, um, you you were right. Uh, in general, for deep learning based approach, the more data, the more ground truth we feed to the machine learning process, the better of quality. Uh, in general, we can think of it as a, a process of teaching a digital human to learn how to how to perceive motions from the external world. It basically, you, you have a lot of reference data and uh, you have a lot of mappings between the image, the pixels, and the 3D version of that uh, movement. So uh, then you can employ this uh, computer vision technique to build a perceptive neural networks to um, recognize where your body parts are and position them in 3D space. However, uh, our approach is beyond computer vision. As I mentioned, we started the company as a physics engine developer, so we started we started a project by building an articulate physics engine for multi-joint characters. So, uh, so we fully leveraged our physics simulation to enhance the quality of the of the result of the in the movement. Um, one example is that we have a feature called physics filter in in the Admin 3D pipeline currently. If you turn it on, it will um, do a physics simulation pass to filter out some rough motions and to remove uh, self-clipping between body parts. It also makes the movement in general um, more physically feasible. So that's one feature uh, to, as an example to show we use simulation technique to enhance the quality of the result. Um, so in the end, we cannot only rely on computer vision technique, um, although it's an important component in, in our pipeline, because from, from the traditional uh, vision uh, technology, you can, you can pass out pixels from image to get a pretty accurate 2D position of your joints, you know, of your body parts in the image space. But 2D to 3D is a huge leap, right? It's hard to get depth information from pure uh, pixel recognition algorithms. Um, in order to do that better, we provide a unique technology. Uh, we build a unique uh, tech pipeline to use physics simulation also as a prior to guide uh, the, the recognition path so that we can, we can fit the result movements and to a physical model that will be uh, that will be um, physically feasible, and it will be compliant with you know it it will it, it will collide and it uh, it move around under uh, physics, so it's m- more compliant movement in the environment. 
So uh, to your uh, looking back to the original question, I think yeah, it's closer to uh, deep fake than to the pattern matching and you know pure algorithmic uh, uh, technique. Uh, however, uh, we added um, important aspect to deep learning framework in the sense that we adopt a simulation-based environment and use that environment to conduct deep reinforced learning and together with uh, uh, this general you know, deep uh, cognitive pipeline to achieve the best goal. So um, uh, it's the, I think this is it, uh, the start of the journey. We saw a lot of progress. Uh, there are a lot more we can improve to make this whole vision come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so regarding the, the directions where, where you're planning to like move the tools forward, I wanted to ask, uh, are there are there some specific features that you have uh, have in your roadmap? Like for example, we had we've, we've had questions uh, uh, under the video I, pu- I published uh, regarding the body tracking, and they, immediately there were questions about face tracking. Like these were the most in the comments, and and you are definitely uh, like ahead of this and already released the alpha version of that. And people were also asking about fingers, like generally advancing the same thing, just you know, in a more accurate way. So, so fingers. And I wanted to ask about uh, also about maybe uh, non-humanoid characters like animals or or maybe multiple characters. Are, are these somewhere in the near future or maybe not in the scope? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah exactly. Um, finally, we launched the phase. So that's a good first step. So face uh, with body is more complete. Then uh, uh, we are evaluating. Um, we are evaluating a lot of new feature and a, fe- a lot of new feature requests from users, including uh, everything you said. You know, hands, hands, hands and finger tracking, like multi people tracking, uh, animal tracking. So each of these, um, each of these domain is uh, is actually significant a new area of the product um, I think uh, um, for finger tracking finger and hands tracking is a natural extension is natural expansion from the current tracking architecture um, it it's, just, it's I think it's a matter of time we will provide all the uh, I think we will provide uh, the tracking for comprehensive full body movements. Uh, hands and fingers is, are important parts of it. Um, uh, since we haven't, we ha- uh, since we, we still are in a stage to plan out what are the next step features, uh, it's a good, good time we can study user needs and requirements closely, uh, like for finger and hands tracking to what level of details we need, right? And uh, because the level of details we need will determine the dependency of the technology. And we know there are a lot of finger tracking hardware. You know, you, you wear gloves, you can, you can attach different uh, tags on dots on your finger to track it. There are also uh, leap motion and other techniques based on depth camera. And you need to place your hands really close right in front of your face. So we are, but 
from demotion point of view, we always thinking how we are always thinking how do you how can we do motion capture from any video? So we lower the requirement to the to zero if possible or the minimum we can. And we do not want to build um, restrictive feature, so you have to get certain certain type of hardware to work. So our ideal uh, vision for AI-based mocap is that you don't really need anything in the uh, you know to well you you need your observation right? you still need to maybe maybe a video but you don't need any um, external uh, to, uh, device to track it so in terms of finger uh, or hand tracking we're still designing and discussing um, what 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 is the what is the goal what is target um, function for the tracking? Do we need to track details of every joints moving in three degree freedoms? Uh, every finger joint. I mean, there are a lot of them, right? 20 to 30 joints in your hands. Or like some other vendors did, uh, they, they track the gestures at high level, but maybe just a few gestures are not enough. And so how to strike a balance to fit it in the pipeline. And that's uh, the key question from design point of view. Uh, we are seeking for the answer uh, or considering that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to also ask, like you said about the uh, the uh, the tools that you need or or don't need to like ex extra tools for for the motion capture. Uh, yet there probably are some you know some best uh, practices to you know to prepare the the footage that you use. Uh, there there are some general tips on on your website how to prepare a footage for for um, the algorithm to you know do, do its best um, to perform uh, at, at the best quality uh, I was wondering whether are there are some things that that should be like in focus maybe regarding the lighting or how you know or the lens that you use uh, is does that that matter at all or maybe the frame rate that you record uh, does this have an impact on how the how the algorithm you know handles the video footage and prepares the animation. Um, yeah, definitely. So um, we published a few guidelines about video capturing to generate optimal result. Uh, in general, uh, we prefer uh, we prefer a fixed or stationary camera to be used uh, to capture the capture the video. The main reason is that uh, when we train the perception pipeline for this tag, uh, most of the data we we use, they are videos captured from stationary cameras. Right? So that's a, that's a um, f first requirement. And uh, uh, we have other requirements like uh, include your full body in the viewport when you capture video and uh, have a good contrast in colors between the foreground, between the subject and the background. So all these are, I would say most of these are common sense when you do photography, right? You want to have good lighting, you have good contrast. And, but the difference is it's less artistic than photography. You know, photography, sometimes you, you want to do blur or special effect. But, but for motion capture, 
uh, we prefer more standard settings, you know, fixed lens, uh, in clearly in focus subject, the foreground as close, you know, clear as possible, the background. The background, uh, some people use green, green screen, but it's not necessary. However, uh, a less cluttered background definitely helps. And we just want to avoid the AI to get confused that, um, you know, it, it, sometimes it can mistake an object as a person, right? So if you have a oil painting with a person in the painting as a your background, it may confuse the AI to think, oh no, who, who is the, the person, who is the actor to capture, things like that. But saying all these requirements, our goal is to remove those requirements one by one if we can. We had some success, initial success already. Like uh, first thing we, re we remove is, is full body requirement. And with one of the recent update, we now support upper body capturing as well. So uh, you could have uh, upper body capturing, you know, only that only includes a head from from your head to uh, to the waist, probably uh, just like a portrait shot. Right? And we still, uh, I think we, we can still capture useful mood, uh, movements from half body footage. Uh, we generate some placeholder lower body movements that kind of matching the upper body. Uh, but for upper body, we're trying to uh, generate a stable uh, capture uh, for it. So this, in a way, lower the requirements. So you don't have to use strictly full body video. Uh, but you know, full body video can full body video always produce the best result. But if you only have half body available for a number of reasons, maybe you don't have enough space in your workplace. Maybe that's just the way a historical video was shot. There's no way to travel back in time and modify that capturing. So now you, you have more flexibility to capture it. Another requirement we're working on relaxing is the fixed camera requirement, which is still a definite recommendation. But, uh, but through some recent updates, we added more this multi-terrain height support so, uh, we also added stronger foot locking technique. So from all these heuristics like foot locking, like uh, you know automatic sensing of where the ground is, you know, with from all this um, supportive tech, we uh, is we we can sometimes infer where the camera is. So even your camera move a little bit, or in some cases is following the subject we uh, still can produce some useful useful capture uh, sometimes it looks good uh, sometimes it doesn't look ideal still but we're working in this direction to relax that so um, if you have some camera shape for example if you have some panning or zooming it probably just work fine so that's our goal uh, to remove these guidelines gradually mm. Yeah, but before we achieve that that final goal, we still recommend to follow, especially for for beginners. We still recommend to follow our video guideline. Uh, you know, full body capturing, fixed camera, good contrast, foreground, background. As we are progressing with more development, we like advanced users to try out some of our uh, these advanced settings. Um, 
yeah, besides the besides the full locking, uh, ground detection, and uh, half body support, we are also going to opening up more kind of this filtering settings. So you can uh, sometimes you can you can balance between smoothness and detail, right? Um, but we're, we're trying to provide um, intuitive control to advanced user to also kind of adjust that. And with with more and more advanced settings, we hope uh, we can provide a wider support of s support for our users' needs. If you are a beginner, uh, you just started, just use the auto settings everywhere. It's like a camera. It's like in autofocus mode. You point and shoot. It should work. That, that's definitely the common denominator of all the use case. However, um, we are we are adding more professional tools and settings, like Ergen said earlier, to allow professionals to provide you know to produce more more professional quality results um, by adding your own control and the insights into it. Mm, yeah, that, I kind of like this approach uh, uh, and th this general trend in, in the industry that the, it seems like um, some tools are kind of uh, more accessible to like everyday users. And uh, I've heard like uh, um, one, one indie uh, film creator, uh, Ian Hubert, quite famous on YouTube uh, in the Blender space. He's, he's doing like a lot of vfx and, and movie production um, on an indie level and he said like he he you know introduced some some techniques using free tools available and um, was able to create like almost sometimes almost hollywood pr production level in a kind of home environment with all those tricks and new technology available and then he just found one, one technology that was kind of countering this trend which is the virtual sets and that to require you know the, these large displays of uh, uh, on set to shoot to shoot in vir virtual environments. But uh, yeah, this this uh, technology provided by DeepMotion is kind of in this uh, trend of enabling you in your home setup even to pre to produce some something nice even if you don't own you know pr professional uh, expensive gear yet. You can you can uh, do so much more, and I was I, I wanted to ask about the limitations of that technology. Uh, do you do you see like the limits uh, in what these kind of solutions, like the AI deep learning uh, solutions, uh, can solve? Like the problems that they can solve, or uh, or is it like just a matter of time? Uh, I've I've heard like people saying that, for example, I don't know, UV unwrapping is kind of too hard for for this kind of technology, but but the, at the same time, I've seen the AlphaGo movie where where you know people were sure that the Go game is just too hard for the, for that that kind of machine. But it seems just it was just a matter of time. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think AI is very good at uh, removing technical complexity from the art creation pipeline. And you know, besides AI-based animation, I think if we talk about general scope AI-based rendering or you know deep deep learning-based rendering, texturing, uh, rigging, modeling, all, all these aspects, um, I see that um, 
I think the quality, uh, the quality from all these AI-based approach get improved every year very fast. The, the limitation of AI is that um, I think in, in, in general, AI is still, is still based on machine learning from human. So I think the reason, the reason AI is so, so good or produce stunning result is, is because uh, we human first created raw materials or raw content in the first place. Then we trained AI to mimic what we did. And the AI is very good at assimilating a massive amount of experience, skills, and knowledge in a digital form. And then it can spit out a uh, um, combination or derivative version of what we can create right, as human. So I think the advantage of using AI to it can help us to scale up. It can help us to scale up. Like we can produce maybe 1,000 times the amount of content than before in a limited amount of time. However, if you look at the variety and um, the organic, the authentic, authenticity in the content, it doesn't automatically scale up. It depends on how, how much raw uh, creativity you put into the training data. Right, right, that will decide um, how you know how good how the quality of output. So I think the uh, uh, I think AI is more more about a tool to help user to unleash um, your uh, create cre creativity creative creative uh, creative power. So um, we still need to. We still rely on humans to generate unique and fresh content. And then the AI will, will be used to add a lot of variety on top of that and create derivative results. Um, however, if one day we stop feeding the AI with fresh content, um, the progress may stop. So I think that's a limitation. Uh, I hope we don't stop create because AI can, can you know, run or automate a lot of process. Uh, as long as we, we only we use that as a scale up tool, it will help us uh, produce uh, more interesting content. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, I I think my point it will, will not just automate the process; it will speed up the process. Yes, I've, I've uh, like I've seen also the trend of uh, creating, uh, generally creating tools like procedural, procedural modeling, uh, these kind of uh, workflows that are being uh, widely uh, widely adopted by the industry because of what you said, like the the, the ability to scale up uh, the creation process, especially in the game development. Uh, it's important that you can. You know, create a lot of iterations or uh, or versions of a specific asset or or in general generative creation of landscapes, whatever of this kind of uh, technologies. Do you think that AI will also maybe automate the preparation of of these kind of uh, tools as well, like uh, creation of assets or level level creation in game? Uh, yeah, that definitely. I, I saw some very good uh, progress in terms of landscape generation 
or city street generators, right? Actually, the city generator was not new. It was used in game many years ago. Um, but at that time, um, it focused on very pattern, <clears throat> very regular pattern of the streets and layout of buildings. It can, AI is very good at generating repetitive patterns and make it seemingly, uh, make the content seemingly endless. Um, however, like uh, I, I worked, I worked at um, Blizzard on World of Warcraft before, right? World of Warcraft is a massive virtual world for gaming. And most, I mean, all the all the content in WoW was handcrafted by artists, by level designers, and that provides the very fun gameplay. However, it also super time consuming and it's, it's it's a heavy creation process to create a massive digital world like that. Um, but later, uh, later we see games as I mentioned. Uh, you can procedurally generate city and streets. And uh, recently, there are also games leverage uh, deep learning to generate uh, in the wild scenarios, uh, landscapes. And the question is, can can we replace the manual crafted content with procedural content completely? I don't think so. I don't think it would. It definitely won't completely replace. Manual creation, um, but uh, I think it will uh, it will help create a, a lot of de uh, derivative content. It will help create uh, different combinations and different different flavors. Uh, if you look at landscape generator out there, produced from deep uh, deep uh, learning pipeline, uh, you you'll find it is interesting. But after a while, you may see some. I think we as humans very sensitive at originality. You you can still tell there's some repetition, there's some pattern going on. Um, uh, that that's why after a while you may see uh, it feel maybe not as authentic as uh, as real real content. Um, so I I think we we should use it uh, in in the right to the right extent uh, that can multi multiply. The amount of content and productivity we we can produce, uh, however, it, it we should we should use hybrid. I think we should uh, feed it with enough uh, raw content, you know, that represent true creation, so the AI can do a better job to scale scale it up. Yeah, it kind of if it kind of reminds me of the conversation we had with with um, with Erin Woodford, Erin uh, Dale. We were talking about the procedural workflows, and he kind of mentioned uh, the procedural generative uh, design uh, as not just a tool uh, for uh, for speeding up the workflow, but also as kind of like a partner in design, because you can set up some rules, generate con uh, generate forms based on on some formulas, and then it kind of gives you fast iterations of possibilities, and then you get to choose which direction you want your design to go. So probably the AI technology could be used the same way, like produce uh, possibilities, and and then we get to choose how to how to guide that in the original way. Like we are also discussing tools like uh, Art Breeder, which generates uh, generates automatic artworks based on some input constraints, 
and and what you said was kind of true that you can see the patterns and the it, you kind of subconsciously can detect that it was generated by an AI algorithm. At, at least for now, it's it's still this uncanny valley, but it's it's possible to to um, to differentiate whether it was created by a real painter or just AI algorithm. Right, right. I think uh, <clears throat> in in the physical world, there is a term called entropy, right? So entropy is a amount of information or amount of energy can contained in the subject. So I think the regional content is it's like high entropy content. There there is a lot of details, a lot of regional uh, uh, layers in in the content. But as you use you you can then use AI to simulate the regional content and rehash them and generate a derived derivative result or even use algorithm to further morph them to generate new content. But the more, uh, I think the more you use uh, AI, the entropy will lower. The entropy become lower than the original. Uh, at some point, if you don't, if you don't uh, infuse new fresh content in it, the procedural pipeline will, will generate zero entropy content, which, which will be just zero and one. It's not interesting anymore. But uh, I think the the art is really how to balance that to maintain the right entropy level in your content and uh, still use a procedural technique to, um, uh, to, to present every aspect of that content and every, you know, every combination, every, any, any way to derive from it. That's what AI and procedural algorithm is best at. I wanted to ask about that earlier. Uh, so you mentioned that you you worked at Blizzard before, and that a lot of the animations in World of Warcraft were handcrafted, right? And then we know that as games got more complex, um, cutscenes and animations, um, instead of being handmade completely, they'd go into mo motion capture, right? So I was wondering if what where does deep motion go? in the future where we know that you can make animations based on a single video. Do you think it can sort of compete or be an alternative to full motion capture studios with multiple um, actors um, acting in a scene where there's clearly overlap? Or do you think the notion's going to be more focused on singular stuff like animating a character animation or animating um, a walking animation very good question so um, the core technology at the motion we are working on is called motion we call it motion brain so motion brain actually has two parts uh, has two fundamental types one type is perceptive motion brain that works like human how the human eyes work uh, it basically perceives motions from external world and mimic the movements in the digital world. That is what we use in Anime 3D currently. And that is what, it, what we use to perceive movements from videos or image and convert them into 3D animation in, in the 3D world. So percept, this, this perceptive motion brain is good at copy, copying motions um, or capturing movement. However, uh, it won't generate uh, new movements. Um, 
The secondary, uh, the second type of motion brain is called generative motion brain. That's, that's what we are actively working on. So generative motion brain will use high quality motion capture data or keyframe and animation as the ground truth. Um, and then the AI will learn how to, how to create transitions between these movements and how to synthesize new motion using the using the ground truth as building blocks. Um, so this kind of generative motion brain uh, is the deep wave equivalent for movements. So that's uh, the second part of motion brain. That's the second type of motion brain we are working on. I think in the future, we'll use more of the generative motion brain to create authentic, uh, lifelike uh, animations for primary characters in the game that can hopefully um, match the quality of, of the keyframe animation or uh, motion capture we use today. Yeah, and I, I can actually uh, just uh, add on top of what Kevin says there. Um, so for the original question of kind of comparing it to the you know traditional motion capture studios, um, you know we know uh, today uh, that those traditional hardware-based, you know, studio-based uh, solutions, right now, they probably produce um, more accurate uh, motion and movements, right? I mean, you have a human actually getting into a suit with, you know, like a thousand points on it and, you know, highly, highly accurate. And, you know, we're, we're not kidding ourselves. Like, we know we're not there yet. Uh, but, you know, as we were kind of discussing earlier uh, on the cast, um, that that gap, that quality gap is really getting smaller every day, right? If you compared our service maybe a year ago to traditional motion capture, it's not even a question, right? It's just, you know, poor uh, comparison. Uh, but compare us today versus traditional motion capture. And you know what? There's certain motions that um, you could probably get away with just using Animate 3D for. And these aren't just simple motions of walking or running, you know, some more complex movements where there's, you know, potentially lots of occlusion and, uh, you know, maybe there's a backflip or, you know, somersaults, you know, gymnastics, who knows. Um, but, you know, so to adjust, you know, uh, more of the original question, I think, uh, you know, we're not there today, but every day that quality gap is getting smaller. And I would even say we see from some of our customers that already today there are some um, uh, based on the situation, there are some movements, some motions where Animate 3D is is good enough. We do capture all of the uh, details, uh, or at least enough of the details, sometimes all of them, um, that you know the results are good enough and they might be good out of the box, or maybe there's a little bit of polish that the animator or the artist you know will do before actually putting them into production. Um, but, you know, the eventual goal is to, yeah, you know, disrupt the traditional mocap industry, uh, you know, which we think we are already. Yeah, I think I think also like the advantage of, of, of your service being uh, very accessible is that you have a potentially very big uh, community that's going to use it. Like I've seen this as a Blender user, for example, very, very big uh, advantage of Blender 3, 3D is like, is large community that can provide feedback and uh, you know people finding use for uh, for the software that wasn't even like intended by the original developers you know, the more people use it the more uh, you know, the more use cases the more feedback the more possibilities i think exactly yeah, i find it interesting 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, we're trying to uh, democratize, you know, the kind of content creation process, right? And more specifically, when it comes to 3D animations, right? Uh, so yeah, you bring up a great point. Um, accessibility is very important. That's why we kind of say, hey, like all you need is a, you know, a, a web browser and an internet connection, right? Uh, and, you know, assuming, you know, you have access to videos, or maybe you can shoot your own video on your mobile device or mobile phone. Uh, so yeah, you know, accessibility is a big part of it. And, you know, we haven't, we keep talking about the traditional motion capture studios and, you know, not accessible, right? A physical location that you have to go to. And we haven't even mentioned the cost, right? We know that the, this is extremely expensive to do, uh, you know, the traditional mocap, if you want to do maybe the AAA studios, you know, Lord of the Rings style motion capture. Um, so yeah, you know, we, you know, like I said, we're, we're fighting that battle every day and, you know, um, yeah, we're making it more accessible to, you know, the broader community. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I remember when I was working with, um, game developers, right. It's so easy to create environments that are realistic we have substance to create realistic textures and stuff or Quixel. And then you get to the animation and it's like, oh crap. <laughs> We, we don't have any money to spend on either hiring a really good animator or getting like a mocap studio and renting it out and then, you know, trying to record stuff. Like, yeah, this, this seems like a, a game changer. Especially, I noticed that you guys got um, an epic mega grant. And with the upcoming release of Unreal Engine 5, uh, there was, this, I think, this uh, physics system where the characters automatically, like, step on stairs or touch rocks is there any kind of technology of deep motion that's being integrated into um unreal engine 5 or is that anything you guys can are allowed to talk about
Yeah, I wanted to ask also one question, like maybe maybe a little bit from uh, our audience. Like uh, someone was complaining about uh, that the that the tool tool is very very nice, and uh, but why why does it have to be uh, another cloud service? Like there are definitely benefits of of that, but some people find it uh, you know very um, very nice to have every tool offline to be just able to use on their PC. Is that uh, something that's kind of integrated into the into the um, nature of of this uh, of this AI engine that it has to be on in the cloud service, or is that just a choice uh, of your company, or is is that possible to use this technology or also offline as a as an off, off, offline software? I guess I could start with that, Kevin, and if you want to add on top. Um, I think so. So first off, just like you said, there are some benefits to, to using cloud, right? Um, one of the major ones is uh, our users don't even need to download any software, right? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, so for the user, you know, uh, for people who might ask this question, if it's available in other forms, I don't know if they're interested in a, a mobile app or, you know, a desktop app, you know, something they can run locally, which I think is valid. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we do have some things on our roadmap um, geared in, uh, you know, towards those uh, areas. Uh, one challenge we have, though, is that, uh, you know, running in the cloud, of course, over the past five, six years, uh, you know, we've been working on this solution, as Kevin said, the underlying physics um, you know, algorithms and, and, you know, infrastructure that we have uh, underneath and everything, all the AI and everything we've built on top. So there's a lot of IP, right? And of course, one of the, the tricky things is really, you know, locking down that IP, right? You know, kind of making sure it doesn't get out there into the world and people just start, you know, abusing your software and, you know, copying it everywhere. So it is just one thing that we have to be mindful of that if we decide to build, you know, a desktop app or uh, a mobile app, uh, IP is obviously a big, uh, you know, consideration for us. Um, so having said that, you know, especially when I hear you mention, oh, maybe even a potential offline mode, um, I think we can still do things there. But the in terms of the actual video processing, uh, you know, where we actually, you know, take uh, the video uh, or images as input and turn them into animations. Uh, like I said, that's kind of done, you know, through our cloud right now, through, you know, some proprietary, you know, softwares and, and code that we have set up. Um, but like I said, yeah, we are having said all that, we are still, you know, looking at building a mobile app. In fact, we've even started one and, you know, um, we do see some use cases there. Just like you said, we do have some customers in the community who are asking, you know, for, access, you know, on, you know, mobile devices or, you know, other devices besides the cloud, besides using a web browser. Uh, so, yeah. And yeah, uh, Kevin, I'm not sure if uh, you had anything you wanted to maybe uh, add on top of that. Uh, sure. Yeah, I think Ergen said, shared some good uh, comments on, on this regard. Um, I think it's a valid uh, question, definitely. Uh, but when we, when we compare online tool with offline, offline software, uh, I think we need to look at how frequent we need to update the software and how early the technology is in, in the development. I think AI and deep learning in general uh, is booming now, but it's still in early stage. So because of this nature, the technology is evolving every day. Now, if we check out how frequently we update Anime 3D, you will see that we sometimes do update every two weeks. Uh, sometimes we do it you know, monthly or 
but it's it's a lot more frequent than traditional software release cycle. I uh, I worked at Cisco and traditional software company before I joined the game industry. So in uh, 10 years back in the traditional software development industry, we're talking about a summer release and winter release, maybe two releases. That, that's still pretty aggressive schedule, right? But nowadays we are uh, working on these AI-based uh, products or service. We're continuously updating the service. Uh, so I think leaning more towards a continuous servicing model is a software as a service, right? It's a SaaS model that can, can bring the software, can bring new features instantaneously as we've done with our development and QA. There's almost no overhead. But if we go through the traditional download software approach, usually you'll go uh, with a slower schedule and you, you, do, you don't want to do 10 releases a year. Right? You probably do two releases a year, things like that. Um, another benefit, uh, as Ergen already mentioned, is, is easy of installation. So even though um, most of artists are savvy about NVIDIA, graphics card, device drivers, uh, game PCs, but there's still a lot of users. They don't want to uh, deal with those. So uh, every time we make a, a GPU or a hardware, hardware uh, dependent software, it, there, there's just a, a number, there's a lot of support and yeah. the details. It's hard to, hard to make it perfect. Yeah, um, we know we know yes. something about that. Providing a cloud service for rendering—that's yeah. More the more possibilities of of hardware combinations. These are, yeah, it grows exponentially. Possibilities of errors and stuff like that. Right, right, yeah. So, but uh, but you know, we are exploring all the options, um, in, um, including how to use uh, maybe offline tools to uh, speed up the process, and. But for now, it seems like a common denominator is, you know, it's to require no hardware, like no specific hardware uh, on the user side. So if you fire up a browser, uh, upload the video, then get some animation. Um, this is uh, uh, this will minimize the entry barrier to use the technology, and hopefully we can also leverage the cloud computing to offer. Um, cost-effective solution to users. Uh, if we make it in the software, you know, we will um, we'll need to charge for certain price for the software. But usually the, the sales model for software is that it's kind of high if you only, well, it is definitely high for one-time usage, right? You probably need to use it a lot uh, in order to get back the, inv the investment. However, uh, the flexibility of a cloud service is, is really usage-based. So if you use it for um, a summer camp project that due two weeks, you can just use exactly the, the amount of service that you need, which is maybe you need uh, 20 minutes animation, which is a lot for your summer camp project. Then you can fire up a web browser and, and get it done. Uh, versus if you're acquiring Maya or some high-end software, it will, it's hard to justify that kind of budget or effort. So we're trying to make it very flexible. Uh, we have a free tier, 
but we also offer very affordable um, uh, uh, paid tiers. So in the end, we, we think it's, it, it was safe, safe investment for, for the artist to do different size of project more flexible. Yeah, that's that seems like um, that seems like uh, <clears throat> as as I sometimes call it Christmas Day for for three D artists all the all the year because uh, more and more tools are are just affordable. dropping. Yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, and they are more and more affordable for for us, and it's just yeah, so much to check out, so much new stuff uh, mm -hmm. going on. Like for for me uh, personally, I was all. I'm a kind of like 3D journalist and three, uh, always wanted, like I, I have a little bit of knowledge about animation and some experiences, but not very, uh, very high uh, skills on that. Uh, I, I wanted to learn that particular skills and the deep motion was kind of like a nice jump start for me like to get to play around with the rigging tools and all this stuff. And uh, it was a very nice jump start for me. Like the, the the experience was super pleasant. I was impressed by the results. I'm even more impressed by the speed of development of the tool. And generally, mm, and I find today's conversation very very promising and and yeah super interesting. So uh, I guess we're already an hour. So we usually tend to wrap up the conversation at this point of time. So maybe maybe uh, one final question would be... Um, mm, would... Actually, I, I do have a, one last question. Um, <laughs> so going over from the SaaS uh, model, right, as a service, we, we know that Mexamos more or less like the the library for for animations, right? And considering that AI, um, like you said earlier, it speeds up the workflow so fast. Are there any plans to like I guess compete against um Mexamo or be another competitor in that area? Because yeah, like how we have Epic going, um, you getting over Quixel to to go against Substance or. Unreal Engine versus Unity. Are there any plans for something similar to that? Yeah, uh, we are thinking to build this user-generated animation platform using our technology, right? Because um, Anime3D lowered the entry barrier to animation creation uh, to so low that um, a lot more people who haven't been trained for animation cannot create animation. So the, um, a direct result of this is we, we foresee a flourish, rich set of content being created on our platform and that will, will uh, bring us a lot bigger motion library to users to use. And we actually received requests quite a lot, quite a lot from our users. Uh, how can they uh, share their animations, how can they trade with their peers? And we, we want to enable that and want to embrace it. So uh, one of the uh, one of the project and next uh, um, goal we are working on is to create this um, platform for, um, for for users to 
to access a large, like a large scale motion library and, and also help them to share their creation and uh, potentially trade and sell their creation over the platform. And so I think the scale will be a lot bigger, magnitude bigger than traditional motion library, mm -hmm. um, you know, based on mocap. Uh, it's just because mocap, uh, mocap technology doesn't scale, right? You, yeah. you, you, you need so many human power, human resource to create it. Yeah, so, so like every one of us in uh, our audience, you can all be motion capture actors and... Definitely, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, that's, that's another good point. The, uh, another day we did a project uh, uh, to create um, this parkour and the gymnastic animations. Um, it's almost impossible, not impossible, but very hard to hire a gymnastist, especially under COVID situation, to do the performance for you, right? So, um, but luckily we found some really good stock video footage on internet and we acquired that footage and then we create very stunning backflips and uh, uh, skateboard motion so and parkour. And you don't need, the subject don't, doesn't need to wear heavy gears when they perform these dangerous, risky movements. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the kind of um, uh, capability, even traditional mocap hardware, it's hard to match. Right? It's hard to deploy the hardware anywhere on anybody uh, in any situation. And, but now we lower the barrier to videos. If you can shoot a video, mm -hmm. you can yeah, do it. And, and, the st and stunts, for example, like very dangerous stunts could be replaced by, by this kind uh, of technology probably. Yeah? Exactly. And talking about stunts, very likely we'll, we'll do some additional stunt, stunt motion generator kind of feature you know, down, down the path. And that may be one of the first few things generating motion brain can kick in. Like if you have subject unfortunately hit by a car in digital world, you know, you probably cannot find the footage a lot on the internet that person hit by a car. Uh, but you can you can find the person walking on the street in a normal condition, quite a, quite a lot, um, and then using generative technology, you can not only capture from the video, you can also derive from that and let AI and fit simulation to generate the ragdoll, the heat reaction, and maybe the get up movements for you. So that will be a a flavor of the next next phase of this technology where it's going. But I just want to mention it, you know, for the stand, since the topic of stand will be a good, good area to, uh, uh, it's good area, good feature to add. Great. Thank you so much for, for joining us today on, the, on this conversation. I guess we could probably talk even for another hour. Or perhaps we could we could um, we could repeat that conversation, you know, after after some time when you develop some more features in the future, because it seems like super interesting uh, to to 3D artists. It's, it's like I said, Christmas Day for the whole year, and um, so thank you again, Kevin and um, and Ergin for joining us today, and. Um,
we hope that our that our listeners will check out the deep motion service or they have already checked it out and they will uh, find some nice tips and things to look in that conversation and maybe share some thoughts or feature requests or or any kind of ideas about this uh, technology in the comments um, we highly encourage that and once again thank you very much and thank you very much Th see you thank you dj uh yeah thank you it's our honor to serve the community and uh, we we want to um, realize the dream to democratize animation tech for all the CG artists in the world. And together with the community, we can achieve that dream sooner, I think. So we'd love to come back again in the future as we have new features and new development. And also, uh, Annette actually is, a, is a working on uh, a promotion with a, with a, a discount, 35 percent of the discount code. Uh, I don't know if Anati wants to share with DJ in, in case the um, audience may be interested. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for our uh, face tracking launch, um, we're doing a face 35 promo code. So you can go ahead and use that and try it out. Hmm. That's, that's the Christmas day <laughs> uh, uh, thing. So, so thank you again. And just go ahead and test the face tracking and all the features because it's super awesome. So thanks again and hear you in the next episodes of CG right. Talks. All right. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. <laughs> cheers.